Hey, listeners, this is our last episode of 2017. And before we start the episode, I just want to say thanks for everything. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of something new and helping us launch this podcast this year. And thank you for sharing your best things all week, every week. So this episode is pre-taped, which means we will not be playing any best thing audio in this episode, but it'll be back in the new year. Also, last thing, thank you for supporting public media and this show with your donations. Yep, one more time, going to ask you to give. You can still donate to support your local NPR station and this show by going to this link, donate.npr.org slash Sam. That helps out local stations across the country and this show as well. All right, here is someone I've been thankful for as long as I can remember, Aunt Betty. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on a special year-end edition of the show, the host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, Linda Holmes, NPR congressional correspondent Susan Davis, and playwright, humorist, and person on the Internet, R. Eric Thomas. All right. Happy New Year. Let's start the show. She's in the pocket now. Yeah. She's got it down. Say my name, Aunt Betty. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute bringing you a special year-end edition of the show. It's so special that I have not one, not two, but three guests with me in studio today. Linda Holmes from the wonderful NPR podcast, Pop Culture Happy Hour, also runs NPR's Monkey C blog. Also, I've seen you at a lot of holiday parties recently. That's right. We are in the same company, and I like it. That's Hi. right. Thanks Hi. Thanks for being here. Hi. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. NPR congressional correspondent, you must know her from the NPR Politics Podcast, uh, Susan Davis. We're glad you're here today. I'm glad to be here, Thank Sam. you. Yeah. And we've been waiting to ha- make this happen for a while. We quote you pretty frequently in our show and now to have you in it actually is just a delight uh staff writer for elm playwright self-described person on the internet our eric thomas hello i'm so ha- i was so excited to hear aunt betty say my name i can go home right now thank you for having me yeah so i am playing for you guys right now the most popular song in the country this year ed sheeran's shape of you So Despacito probably should get more bragging rights, though. The remix of that song featuring Justin Bieber was the number two song of the year, and the original version of Despacito was the number three most streamed song of the year. Oh. But the number one overall was Sheeran. Huh. I feel like he's like like the guy you went to high school with who was like, you know, fine, and then like he <laughs> yeah. did well, and you're like, okay, you know. So fun fact, I was Googling the lyrics of this song today in advance of this uh, taping, and I realized I had been mispronouncing a lyric to this song, Shape of You, all year. Push and pull like a magnitude. And I always was like, that's wrong. That is not actually scientifically correct. Turns out he was saying, we push and pull like a magnet do. Yeah. A magnet do. Oh, you do. Because you know what pushes and pulls, Sam. Yeah, magnets do. Magnets. (laughs) So anyways, the more you know. (laughs) About Ed Sheeran lyrics. About Ed Sheeran lyrics, yeah. So here's how the hour is going to go. This will be a bit different than our usual format. Usually we all describe the week of news in three words. Today, each of us will describe the year 
in three words. And each of us kind of has a certain expertise, so our three words will speak to that. Sue, of course, covers Congress and politics. Linda covers all things popular culture. Our Eric Thomas covers all things internet and amazing. Also, in between those conversations, we will take two long-distance calls and check back in with some listeners who appeared on that segment earlier this year. We'll also discuss some big trends in music in 2017 and... This is like an omnibus taping. We're going to have a special edition of Who Said That in 2017. Really nice. looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. I've been studying. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. So first things first, three words for 2017. Sue, you have the honor of going first. What are your three words? So my three words, and they all stand on their own but also work together, okay. are remarkable Russia tweet. Mm-hmm. Unpack it a little bit. Yeah. So remarkable to me is the word that broke in 2017 because mm-hmm. So many things in politics were described as being remarkable that somewhere around May, I started saying that like that word just didn't mean anything anymore. Right. When every single thing that happens is remarkable, then nothing is remarkable. Um, And I've joked that like at this point, if Trump like reached down and pulled his face (laughs) off and it was like Hillary Clinton (laughs) underneath, that is when you could be like, that was a remarkable day. (laughs) (laughs) Russia, just because... Russia is still the thing that hangs over yeah. everything. It's like the more and more that we unpack what they've done, we still can't tell whether they, it was a really synchronized, organized effort or they just bumbled their way into the election. We still don't know. Yeah. And it's, you know, everything that's happened this year, Russia is still this umbrella that covers our entire politics. And yeah. we still don't know where it's leading us. We don't know the final impact on this administration. But I just think Russia... Yeah touched on everything in our politics this year. And a sidebar on Russia, Russia is also leading the conversation in Silicon Valley as tech companies like Facebook and Twitter have to figure out how to manage Uh, their platforms in light of Russian hacking of last year's election. Yeah, and are they media companies or not? Yeah. Like Facebook, Exactly, exactly. Um, And tweet just because I don't think that anything, any random thing guided our national conversation, our politics, and our media coverage more than President Trump's tweets this year. I mean, they just dominated everything. Every time he tweeted something, it generated a news cycle. And, and he so, knew it. And he knew it. And he knows how to use it. And in, in some ways, it's been really exhausting, right? <laughs> Chasing the president's tweets all year has been an exhausting exercise. But he's also announced policy from Twitter. He has sparked, you know, ongoing culture wars over Twitter. Uh, and so just the president's tweets, again, I just think have just been such a dominant part of the political conversation. Those are good three words. Thanks. I've worked on them. <laughs> you thought I was about like this. Brainstorming with my husband last night. I really wanted to deliver for you, Sam. I you mean, did. It's, it's been a cra- it's I been the, one of the craziest years in politics I've ever covered. And so remember how we said that about up. last year? Yeah. Remember last year we were like, 2016, man, that's the craziest year ever. <laughs> yeah. And then. And never get crazier than this. Yeah. 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 So I'm a little nervous what 2018 has yeah. in store. Yeah. But, 2017 yeah. did a little of a hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> what political stories are you going to be watching next year or looking forward to next year? 2018 is an election year. So is. I, I think just in terms of, you know, the first midterm election year after any president is always a referendum on that president. You know, mm-hmm. they don't want it to be. They'll shape it as other things. But in generally speaking, midterm elections are referendums on the president. And so I just think 2018 is going to be a really combative year in politics on the state level and governor's races and Senate races and House races. And just the churn we're going to see in the response to the Trump administration is going to be the dominant story of 2018. Yeah. 
All right, it's part of our special year in show. We're each going to describe our year, 2017, in three words. And we've each kind of focused those three words on the areas that we covered this year. And Eric, you describe yourself as a person on the internet. So we asked you to give us three words all about the internet. You have three words for us? I do, okay. yeah. My three words are don't at me. Um, <laughs> and you can use the at symbol yes. for And for those that don't know Twitter, that so, means. Yeah, so adding is when you type the at symbol in someone's screen name, and that is when you tag them. Um, it gives them a notification. It means you're talking either to them or about them. You're saying this tweet is just for you. This is just for you. Yeah. Um, and it's a way of communicating. And so yeah. don't at me is like, for, well, it, there's three ways of thinking about don't at me. The first is a, a joke form on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can say like something incendiary or something that's like clearly true, and then the punchline is don't at me, which means like, I don't want to hear your hot take about this. I yes. don't want to hear your bad opinion. So if I say Kelly Clarkson's Heat was the best song of the year, don't at me, <laughs> you can't tell me it's not. Um, one, because that's true. It is the best song <laughs> of the year. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, yeah, no, oh, no, I said don't at me. <laughs> that is my favorite use of that term. Right? It's like a statement, and yeah. you're like, I don't even want to I debate I said don't this. at me. I mean, yeah, I can't. We, there is no more debate. I'm sorry. My truth is my truth. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, like, and Twitter is the birthplace of so many new joke forms. And as mm-hmm. somebody who writes humor on the internet, like, that is... Uh, a gift, you know, yeah. like to constantly be finding new ways to be funny. Yeah. I think also, though, it represents a sort of like our move toward like further tribalism and divisiveness. Uh. Like, I don't want to hear your opinion. I want to hear the opinions that I like. And that was what the Internet was for, I think, most people this year. Yeah. You get the news that you want from the from the places that you trust, mm-hmm. either to tell you what you want to hear or that you actually trust, depending on who you are and yeah. where you are as a person. Um, and uh, I, I think a lot of the conversations that we saw on Twitter were people who were firmly entrenched in their beliefs telling either relatives or strangers in comment sections and in Facebook and in articles, don't at me, don't tell me your opinion, I don't want to hear it. And that's a really interesting thing. Um, So the at symbol is this really great distillation of who Americans are and who people are. It's, you know, this, we want to be together and we want to push each other away. Yeah. Lastly, I think... um, a lot of the men uh, in powerful positions who have been outed as sexual predators uh, were whispering don't at me in their offices um, mm. as uh, allegation after allegation came mm. out. Uh, I'm sure there, I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago you saw Morgan Spurlock preemptively at himself, you know. Which was so weird. Very, yes, it a very so weird, weird confession. All these confessions are so so self-congratulatory also, yeah. which is just as, well, it's what a, a whole. bad apology. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 So a lot of guys I'm sure were like, don't at me, don't talk about the behavior that I did. Um, you know, you saw John Oliver try to um, have a conversation with Dustin Hoffman about allegations um, during a panel. Dustin Hoffman and then Alec Baldwin, who wasn't even there, were both like, whoa, 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 like, this isn't the place. Don't at him. Don't at him about this. Everything is the place on the mm. internet. Every every, mm. every time is the time. Every place is the place. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think, you know, when I look back at this year on the internet, like, this was a year of a lot of revelatory truth and a lot of beautiful clapbacks. And so, <laughs> you know, when I think about 2017, which I hope to never do again, um, <laughs> I think about, you know, the way that the Internet uh, brought people together and pushed people apart and then brought some people to justice. And I think mm. that's 
I mean, that's a complicated history, but I, I guess in the balance, it's not terrible, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, I think if I were picking another theme for 2017, yeah. like the year of the bad apology. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is, yeah. I mean, it's not that they all aren't, but like. Most a, of them are. A couple of years ago, I was talking to uh, somebody about um, like onomatopoeia, which is the phenomenon of like a word like buzz or whatever that sounds. Sizzle. Sounds like mm. itself. And uh, calling them onomatopologies when it, like, it isn't really an apology, but it makes it apology like. noises. I love that. And like the, uh, there were a lot of those this year uh, where it's yeah. like you can tell that right behind the apology is like, I'm yeah. sorry. And it's like, well, obviously I misunderstood the dynamics of play and that interaction or whatever. It's like, so you, this whole thing happened and you just thought it was cool and you want to be okay with that right. did you see Mario Batali's apology oh my god he no put a, like a recipe it was the best to me it was the best oh worst the of end all was a recipe because he has a mailing list and he for <laughs> his recipes worst, yeah. and his brand you know because he has restaurants in Italy and all these things and he sent out an email to his list that was like you know these allegations against me I apologize blah, whatever and here's one of my favorite holiday recipes you know <laughs> I mean you know always get that paper like hustle like the, the hustle <laughs> yeah. you're like yeah. by the way <sighs> sign yeah. up for my mailing list if you yeah. want more terrible apologies yeah, follow yeah. me back right? if you such yeah. a bad apology With that, we're going to take a break from three words. Linda and I will do ours later. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance. Where we call up a listener somewhere in the world and talk to them about the news where they live. And this is our year-end show, which means we're going to check back in with some folks that we called earlier in 2017. Today on the line from Refugio, Texas, Becky Wright. Becky, you there? Hey, I'm here. How are you? I'm doing good. Cool, cool. Good to hear from you. Um, and uh, Referio. You said it right. Yes. <laughs> so you work for the Chamber of Commerce in Referio, Texas. How's it going down there? Uh, we're doing good. For three months, almost three months after the hurricane, it's more clean. Our town is more cleaned up than expected. And we should say that's why we're calling. We talked to you back in August because your town was in the center of where Hurricane Harvey hit. It made landfall August 25th as a Category 4 storm. And you told us back then what it was like in August, um, and you described this crazy scene, you know, waiting out that storm with a bunch of your family and a few animals in the hallway of your house. Let's play some tape of that call. We just asked God to protect us, to die down the wind, to... Um, keep my roof on my house just to make the storm pass quickly and just kept asking him, please don't take my roof, please don't take my roof. Wow. And, uh, we did have roof damage where water was pouring in until about 6.30 in the morning. Just thinking about that, you're a few months out of that night. Does it still, I mean, does it haunt you still? Yes, it does, um, especially when I hear that again and just when the weather gets bad when the wind picks up just anytime anything having to do with that it, it, it brings back all the memories yeah and so you rode the storm out in your house with your parents your three kids your husband your dog your grandmother extended family there were some 19 20 people there you guys made it okay uh but the damage was pretty bad have all of y'all come back we just recently got back into our house wow. uh, maybe like four days ago. Wow. So it took months. Yes. What did you do in the meantime? Were you living somewhere else, commuting, or what? Um, at the very beginning, we were staying at a hotel in Raymondville. Then we needed to come back home so the kids can get 
back into school and we could get back to work and so we stayed with my parents in a one bedroom that they had extra so it was five of us trying to fit in in a one bedroom until we were able to get back into our house just four days ago yeah how much more time and money and effort will it take for you to be totally back to where you were before the storm is there still work to be done on on the house or other stuff uh, yes, we do have one bedroom still that needs repaired, and um, it's actually my bedroom, so I still am not able to be in a bedroom. I have a bed in our extra living room as oh, wow. right now. So, um, I mean, there's still things that we haven't unpacked. It's it's still not home yet. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. This is Linda. Um, uh, when I hear you tell the story, and I imagine if this happened to me, I I would be so exhausted. My my apartment flooded once, and it was a much more minor experience, and yet it was so tiring. Um, I'm right. wondering I'm wondering how you take care of yourself, and what has helped you kind of get through this experience and kind of keep going. Well, I have to keep the energy that I uh, that I need to go to work and get the kids to school and then come home and try to unpack everything and it's just never enough time in the day and right now I mean just last night I stayed out till midnight we were trying to decorate the town for our bobcats that are going to state congrats for the state game on oh my gosh Wednesday. is this so, football um, yes Look and at we are the defending champs from last year and we're going back Nice. That must feel good for the whole town. It does. It does. It kind of takes puts the hurricane behind us just for a little bit. Well, I hope you have a relaxing new year. I hope the rest of your recovery uh, comes together nicely. I hope that football team wins that championship. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing your story with the show and our listeners this year. And I wish you a wonderful 2018. Thank you. All righty. Take care. I will. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. She just sounds so tired. It's I feel for her so much. You can just feel the you can feel the toll that that has yes. taken, despite how you know incredibly resilient it sounds like she and her family have been. Mm-hmm. You can really I think hear just how taxing that experience yeah. is, not just in the immediate aftermath, but often like after news has kind of moved on to other stories, yeah. and you know you multiply that story by all the people who are still in Puerto Rico and other places that have been affected by by weather this year, and it's just it's really yeah. uh, it's very moving to me. Yeah, and you think of how people cope with trauma like that for a few hours or a few days your body kind of goes into autopilot Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. and it's just functioning and you don't know how it's functioning but it is and the thing that's interesting to me that when you ask her like how she takes care of herself the answer in large part is like because I have to Mm -hmm. because I have to get up and go to work and get the kids off to school and there's nothing like I don't have another option so I just keep going that's how I keep going is is that I that I have no choice Listeners in the new year want to talk to you as well. Uh, give us a call wherever you live and tell me about what's going on in your neck of the woods. You can drop me a note and tell me why I should call you back for long distance. Just send me a note at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. All right, before we move on, guys, quick question. What are your plans for New Year's? Oh, man. I'm I'm going to be exactly where I usually am on New Year's, which is under a blanket <laughs> watching television. What do you watch, though? I think. 
movies usually. You don't watch Ooh. Anderson Cooper and oh, no longer Kathy Griffin. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I I don't watch the whole like ball dropping thing anymore. Uh, I just don't. Yeah. <laughs> what are your plans for New Year's? I, I don't know. Um, I w- last year we were at a wedding for mm. New Year's Eve, which oh, was cool. perfect yeah. because yeah. you know for the price of a wedding gift, you get an open bar, a dance floor, <laughs> and a meal, and um, with the flights too. And what's that? The flights to get there. That's what. It's oh no, it was local. It was. Uh, oh, look yeah. at you, okay. right? Maybe that's a I've... photo booth. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I had I have memories of the thing, and then I got a thank you note for it. Like two weeks later. <laughs> so two weeks. Also, they did their thank you oh, notes they're, in two they're weeks. On it. Wow. Oh, it was wonderful. Good and friends. also, I hated them. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to be crashing a wedding. I don't know which one. So if you're getting <laughs> if you're getting married New Year's Eve, let me know. <laughs> Looking for a wedding. Tweet at him. <laughs> yes. It's yes. our Eric. Let me know. <laughs> Um, I feel like we need to have a national conversation about how everybody hates New Year's Eve and it's like such a stressful thing that oh. no people always seem like they never really want to engage in the holiday. Although I, I now it's better because I'm older so I care less about going to parties or having like something cool to do. So we have friends that have a party every year and we always just go to that and we have a dinner party with them. And then we also have a New Year's Eve Eve tradition that ah. we've started a couple years ago where my husband and a, a bunch of his guy friends, they make timpano. What is that? Do you know what timpano is? Uh, it is an Italian dish that's like pasta. It's like the pasta version of a turducken. Ooh. Where it's like, oh, is it the thing they make in Big Night? Yes. Okay. And that was the inspiration for it. The okay. movie Big Night starring Stanley Tucci. And in it, they make something called a timpano. And it is like a huge pasta casserole that has pasta in it. But it has meat and eggs and all these different Ooh. things. And it's like the men cook it. And we have a New Year's Eve Eve party where we make huh. the timpano. If you follow it. me on Instagram, there's pictures okay. of the timpano. Absolutely. Hashtag timpano. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's like that. the fun like annual tradition that we yeah. have. But my tip to people for New Year's Eve to have the best New Year's Eve is uh-huh. always just say yes to the first thing you're invited to because then it just eliminates the stress of like what you should do and it establishes a plan and then you're just like fine and the less you think about new year's eve the more fun you'll have yeah i like that all right if you're like me one thing you couldn't keep up with this year was music there is too much it is everywhere i just cannot stream it all so i talked to a few folks in the last week to try and make sense of the year in music one conversation i had was with veronica flores she's the co-host of a latinx music podcast called radio manea It was a big year for Latinx music, and we talked through some trend lines. Let's play the tape. Veronica, hey, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So we asked you... I'm good. Thank you. So we asked you to talk about three big trends in Latinx music in 2017. And for listeners, Latinx is a gender-neutral catch-all. Latino and Latina and everything in between. So the first trend of this year, we cannot escape it. It spent literally months on top of the Billboard 100 chart this year. You know this song. Despacito. Despacito. This song is from two artists, Luis Fonsi. And Daddy Yankee. So full disclosure, Veronica. Yes. I love this song. (laughs) I've listened to it probably a thousand times this year. I never get tired of it. Every wedding reception, every house party, every grocery store I hear it in, I start to move. so interesting that Daddy Yankee, you know, was charting again almost 10 years later from yeah. when he was charting and like uh, from Gasolina. Oh, and that, that song was big when I was in college. Sound. A lot of it gives me college vibes because, of course, Daddy Yankee, but also it sounds like it's reggaeton, which was having a moment yeah. literally like 12, 13 years ago. I'm with you. Anytime that any sort of dembo beat is on, yes. which is the main beat in reggaeton, is... Like, boom, cha, boom, cha, boom. 
My hips are moving. I'm dancing. It doesn't even matter. I really liked the song when it was before uh, before the Justin Bieber remix. It was huge in Latin America in like yes. February, March, April. Um, and I'd sort of like wore it out by the time that it got the cosign and that it uh, came on the market. And also, it sort of left me with a nasty taste in my mouth that, Why is that? this white guy can come on and sing a few verses. And you're talking about Justin Bieber. He really launched this song here in the States when he did a verse on the remix. Right, that guy. It's a little bit frustrating to know that there's a whole world of creative and rich and really diverse musicalities and genres in Latinx music and that one co-signed by one white guy, that, that that's what it takes. So it's a little bit exciting, but it's also a little bit frustrating. So this kind of leads to our second point about Latinx music this year. How do you even define the genre? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the reality is that Latin just isn't a genre, right? It's exactly. an ethnic denomination of a wide category of music genres, right? Like whether we're talking reggaeton or, you know, merengue or cumbia or boleros or any number of genres that are really very different from each other. So give us another song by a Latinx artist in 2017 that maybe our audience hasn't heard yet. I chose a song called Reverie by Arca. Wow. It is a little trippy and quite dramatic. Yes. Arca, I would say, is one of the most innovative experimentalists of our time. So he's from Venezuela, and the ways that he is using his voice and the lyrics even um, are from a song called Caballo Viejo, which is a folk song in Venezuela. It really takes on Venezuelan folk music as an area from which to jump off to become this completely different and uh, richly textured and experimental music that sounds nothing like what we think Latino music is. And that's sort of why I chose it. There's so much of what this song and this record is that's about Latinidad and it's about Venezuelan folk genres. But most people would never recognize this as Latino music. Mm-hmm. It's giving me some, like, post-industrial vibes. I like Yes, post-industrial, apocalyptic, all of that. All right, last point, last trend of the year in Latinx music. It would be someone and a song that I think a lot of Americans would not consider to be Latinx. Talking about Cardi B. You can f*** with me if you wanted to. These expensive, these is red bottoms, these is bloody shoes. Who had a number one song this year mm-hmm. with her hit, Bodak Yellow. Then I'm quick, cutting off, so don't get comfortable. Look, I don't dance now. People forget 
she's black, but she's also Latina. That's right. I was at a party the other day where somebody was like, oh, Cardi B's Latina. I was like, yes. She's from the DR, right? <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. her father's Dominican and her mom's okay. Trini. Gotcha. Um, and so, and yeah, so I think that we're so used to having our Latinas look like Sofia Vergara, right? Having this, like, you know, very light-skinned, dark-haired mm-hmm. version of, like, that's the only person who a Latina is, when actually Afro-Latinas this year have been killing it. Not just Cardi B, but folks like Ibegi. Um, and it's really important to lift that up as well. I might just turn on some babe. I might just show it your boo. I might just fill on your babe. My... Veronica Flores, thank you so much. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year. That was me and Veronica Flores. She has a podcast called Radio Manea. Now it's time for a quick break. When we come back, Linda and I will take our turns describing our year in just three words, plus a 2017 ultra-extended edition of my favorite game, Who Said That? You're listening to a special year-end episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Google Home. There are things you need to know in the morning, like the weather, your calendar, or the news. A personal assistant can just tell you those things, like the one built into every Google Home. Just say, hey, Google, good morning. And the Google Assistant will tell you the latest forecast, traffic on your way to work, and even the headlines. It's a personalized briefing from an assistant that knows you best. It's a little help at home, like only Google can. We're back with a special year-end edition of It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders here with Linda Holmes, who covers pop culture for NPR. Hello, Linda. Hi, Sam. Susan Davis, who covers Congress for NPR. Hey, hey. Hey, Sam. And our Eric Thomas, senior staff writer at L.com. Is this your first time at NPR? Oh, this is. Yeah, this is like... Okay. I was like making a pilgrimage to the mothership. I was like, <laughs> oh, I have arms full of totes. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. Well, we'll give you a full tour once we're done with this. Please do. Thank and you. we get a discount in the gift shop, so if you see anything, Ooh. let us know. I'm going to run through there. <laughs> like <laughs> All right, as part of our special year in show, we're each going to describe our year, 2017, in three words. And we've each kind of focused those three words on the areas that we covered this year. Uh, Linda, you're up next. You have three words to describe 2017. What are they? Uh, my three words uh, are new voices, please. Hmm. Um, for me, almost everything that really delighted me in 2017 in some way reflected either a voice that was new to me or someone that I knew doing something different from what I had seen them do before. If I look back at the things that made the biggest impressions on me, it was things like Get Out, which I knew yeah. Jordan Peele, but this was his directorial debut. Um, Lady Bird, I knew Greta Gerwig, but this was her directorial debut. Um, the uh, episode of Master of None that Lena Waithe wrote, uh, you know, I knew her somewhat, but it was such a wonderful piece. And it had so much to say that I had not seen on television before. Um, So that's the first reason those are my three words. Nevertheless, you see every day how much work there still is to do in those areas. If you look at the Oscars, if you look at the Emmys, if you look at new TV, um, there still continues to be a tremendous amount of work to do, broadening the voices that people are hearing and reading and seeing. 
Um, it's like you get excited by individual examples, but when you pull back, the institutional stuff still needs a tremendous amount of attention. And that's so that's the second reason. The third reason is that the Hollywood stories that came out in the these last couple of months about harassment um, and and poor treatment of women, if you look at the work, that is lost when uh, lots and lots of people are not able to flourish because of the environments in which they're working. It's really stunning to look back on the movies that didn't happen and the writing that didn't happen and the television that didn't happen and the performances you never saw and Mm -hmm. the directors who never flourished. Mm -hmm. So I think there are undoubtedly many, many stories like that, not to mention the non-famous people, not yep. only other non-famous people in the content world, but all the other people yeah. in what the world. What about those working craft services? What Absolutely. about those doing Gosh, like all the other absolutely. jobs? Absolutely. Part of the reckoning with that and with race and other things that Hollywood has not had that moment mm-hmm. about yet is looking at how to um, find yeah. voices that have not had those opportunities yeah. for all of these reasons kind of combined. Yeah. So my my three words are new voices, please. Yeah. Uh, what big pop culture and big pop culture stories are you looking forward to next year, Linda? That's a great question. I think everything is so up in the air right now hmm. because things that felt, you know, the direction it felt like things were going feels like it's really shifted in the last couple of months. Hmm. I think right now, Hollywood and the way people are processing entertainment feels very dominated by these kind of harassment stories. Um, what I'm looking forward to in 2018, and I, I, I'm i trying to kind of look outside of this story, but it's very difficult because it's so dominant in my own mind right now. But as I said, there's a lot of work still to do around uh, race. If you imagine what the white women were describing in terms of um, sexual harassment, there's no reason to believe that that wasn't compounded yes. for other people by race. Um, by race or, you know, sexual identity or or a variety of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, or craft services or, you yeah. know, so what I am anticipating in 2018 is that you're going to see a broadening and deepening of this kind of inquiry about who's in charge and who makes choices and who are the gatekeepers and can you have different gatekeepers versus fewer gatekeepers. Mm-hmm versus more gatekeepers. It's just, you know, it's complicated in that way. Sort of piggybacking on this idea of... uh, of new voices, I, I, I'm really excited about the year in black content. Um, yeah. I'm really excited about Black Panther. I'm really excited about um, Ava DuVernay's uh, Wrinkle in Time. Oh, yeah. um, I'm really excited about African-American creators who have been able to tell stories that are outside of the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jordan Peele certainly did that with Get Out. Um, and what I think is funny about Get Out is that, like, that's an experience that, like, every black person I've talked to has been like, you know, again, no, that's, I, I absolutely understand that story. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a documentary. Right. And people, but people were like, what is this? This is crazy. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I yeah. think that there are a lot of, Donald Glover is doing it on television. Um, so many people are doing it on television. Issa Rae is also doing it. So I'm just really excited. Like, you know, Issa Rae had that, that great quote from the, I believe it was the Emmys, where she was like, I'm rooting for everybody black. Yeah. yeah me too. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And what's interesting is some of the data points around who is watching quote unquote black content. Mm-hmm. It's not just black people. No, not Something at all. Something like the majority of watchers of blackish mm-hmm. are non black. Yeah. And I'm cool with that. Yeah. I think it's good for the culture. I, I, and I think it represents a certain kind of growth in our viewers and in in this American audience that they can accept the story as their own mm-hmm. from folks that don't look like them. Yeah, I think I mean, that's good. And a universality is a really important concept. It's yes. a, that's a complete fallacy. But like the fact that like I could grow up watching The Cosby Show and have it be a very specific experience that spoke to me, and it spoke to a lot of people. Yeah. But then 
uh, also be shown things like Growing Pains and, you know, other like sort of white family sitcoms that were universal um, and not have to like define themselves based on their race. Mm -hmm. That that gets inside your head. Exactly. So if people who are watching television um, or going to the movies are seeing people of color, queer people having experiences that are very uniquely their own but not explained yeah. um, people have to accept like I guess that's normal I guess that's mm-hmm. universal I guess I have to uh, accept that mm-hmm. as part of the human experience and yeah. that's exciting to me totally and now I have three words uh, I thought about them this morning <laughs> my words are push and pull one it is a lyric from that Ed Sheeran song we played earlier <laughs> it's a lyric that I was not like getting magnitude. right into the, like really, magnitudes really yeah. phoning it in this yeah, way yeah, no. <laughs> but also my three words push and pull kind of refer to my watching this ongoing struggle between Donald Trump and the popular culture I'm talking about entertainment media movies music books It seemed as if at a certain point when Donald Trump took office, there would be this shift in the culture and a battle won for a certain side of the culture war, a move away from a certain progressive liberal ideology and a move away from a certain kind of very uh, direct diversity in multiculturalism that for so long it seemed to not just define the Obama years, but the last 20 years or so. And If anything, this year, Trump's ascent to the White House has not stopped the popular culture from moving in a direction that is even more multiculti, even more women-driven than perhaps ever before. And I cannot live in Donald Trump's head, but this was a man that for decades wanted to be part of the media elite, wanted to be part of the entertainment elite. Was He is our reality show president. And I imagine it must make him pretty mad to see that even once he's in the White House, that same popular culture doesn't embrace him. I mean, one of the most mind-bending things about Donald Trump is that he spent most of his life as a Democrat as someone who was really obsessed with fame and Hollywood, as someone who was a reality TV star and has become a president who core of support is now evangelical Christians, Mm -hmm. right? That like the hardest core supporters among Donald Trump are white evangelical Christians, despite a lifetime of actions and experience that would suggest otherwise. And that to me is always just like politics are continually unpredictable, that you would have thought that this is somebody who could have been seen as a socially conservative president mm-hmm. yes. if somebody would have told you this two years ago. Yeah. You, know? you know, it's so... Donald Trump's trajectory is so interesting to me. Uh, when he was first starting out, besides wanting to develop real estate, he wanted to develop a Broadway career, and he wanted to be a Broadway producer. Mm-hmm. And one of the images that stuck with me the most this year was watching uh, Mike Pence and his wife go to see Hamilton on Broadway mm-hmm. and get told off by the cast yes, yeah. <laughs> at the show. And I think 2018 will be more of that. Mm-hmm. The, the very culture and societies that Donald Trump wanted to penetrate and mm-hmm. infiltrate. NFL. Yeah. yeah. They, NFL as well. NFL as well, because he, he had the XFL for a while. Mm-hmm. Right. Those very the places. The USFL. USFL. He had a USFL team. Yeah, yeah. Those very places and things that he wanted to become a part of, they are going to even crystallize further, and it seems like they're resistance to him. Yeah. And that will be a pop culture through line that I will watch all of 2018. Yeah. All right, guys, in a bit, we're going to play a special year-end edition of my favorite game, Who Said That? But first, another long-distance call. 
This is where we call up a listener somewhere in the world and talk to them about what's going on in their neck of the woods. And because this is our year-end show, we're going to check back in with some folks that we called earlier in 2017. Uh, so we have Ellie Tor on the line. Ellie, you there? Yep. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. So you're on the line today with uh, three of my friends, Linda, Sue, okay. and Eric. Say hi, guys. Hey. 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 Hello. So, Ellie, you are a Pilates instructor with two kids. You live in Charlottesville, Virginia. And we talked to you back in August after that big white supremacist rally down there. One woman, Heather Heyer, she was killed when a man drove his car into the crowd. Two state troopers were also killed. Their names are Jay Cullen and Burke Bates. They died because their helicopter crashed during that day. But that was four months ago at this point. And honestly, now it feels like a, like a year ago. No. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, like, news every day. That's, that's like, world-changing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it feels like a long time ago. How has Charlottesville changed in the months since that crazy, crazy day? Well, um, I think there's a lot, there's been, just similar to what's going on nationally, there's just a lot of activism. So, like, the city council elections... There was a African-American woman was running, and she won, and she won, I think, kind of by a lot. So that was big. And also because the clergy was so involved in that day, I think there's been a more awareness um, at churches, too. Like maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, I never go to church, and I went a couple of times, actually. Really? <laughs> so, um, because of yeah, the events of that day? Yeah. I, like the clergy people were literally like locked arm in arm. As, as a, you know, like a barrier, and it, they were just like so brave, and they were such leaders, and I thought that was so cool. So I was like, "Huh, I haven't been to church since sixth grade. Maybe I should go." Did you enjoy going back to church? Uh, yeah, it was cool. I um, I uh, haven't been like a diligent churchgoer, but <laughs> when I go, it's a really nice experience. Yeah. I really like it. What has it been like? You know, the events of that day have kind of. I'm guessing, been a cloud over your town since then. And Charlottesville, in many ways, is the antithesis of those men that came to protest that day. It's a tiny kind of progressive college town. Yeah. Um, Have the residents of your town been really concerned about the image of the city after that day? I think it's tough that Charlottesville has become like uh, a catch-all word Mm. for all of that, kind of like... I feel now for the people of, like, Oklahoma City, how now when you say that, it just means, like, bombing the building. It doesn't mean, like, the city. And that's kind of tough because anybody that knows Charlottesville, it it is, you don't think the name Charlottesville associated with that day. Most people just kind of say August 12th, I think. Uh, Uh, It's just kind of hard to have your your town just become that catch-all word. Yeah. Now, when we Uh, talked to you for our episode about that day back in August, one thing that stuck with me from our conversation was that you, as a white person, you were kind of struggling with how you could talk to your kids about what happened that day and about race. How old are your kids? They are nine and six. Okay. And we actually have a clip of tape from back in August when we talked, and you discussed kind of how you handled the news uh, with them. We're going to play it now. So they know that I told, they knew bad people were in town, but um, I don't know how to talk about without without creating an opinion that they haven't created yet. And I mm. think it's really interesting to watch that they don't really have the whole heavy idea of race yet. They just see, like, their friends. Yeah. Yeah, well, strange. And I don't know when to say anything or yeah. how to say anything. 
since that conversation we had with you months ago, have you changed your mind about thinking about when it's time to talk with them about race? Um, well, the one thing that um, stuck with me from that is the woman that came on after me. Yes, and, and she was, was a like, child therapist. Don't do yeah. it the way Ellie does it. <laughs> was... She didn't say it that in that way. <laughs> no, I know. I've done, you know. But she basically but, was uh, saying that it's it's it, she basically was arguing that it's actually important to talk to your kids about race when they're young because if you don't, yeah. they'll just believe their misconceptions mm. are the right way. Yeah. And the other thing she um, said that I thought probably hit me the most was how she said it is actually just white privilege that I don't have to talk to my kids about mm-hmm. race. I can just choose it as opposed to a necessity mm-hmm. for survival, essentially. Yeah. And then um, in anticipation of this conversation, I was sort of asking them about, like, do they talk about it at school or did anything mm-hmm. come up? And they were sort of like surprised that it ever even would be a conversation really <laughs> they're like what do you what do you mean like what what are you talking about and i was like i don't know do you do you guys talk about uh the word race or anything and they just they no the answer was no so uh i have i don't know how to um bring it up if they don't bring it up or they don't notice or they don't i don't know i'm yeah. still the same no progress i guess is the update it's <laughs> okay it's all right <laughs> But I don't know, like, what do you think that, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, you know, it's, it's. I mean, like you were saying, my experience was inherently different. I was getting talks about race from my parents who were black, and I'm black, for as long as I can remember. I got the race talk before I got the sex talk, and that, right. that it's that way for a lot of black kids. I think... It is really, really confusing to talk about race right now because things like Charlottesville and the election have opened up so many things that we hadn't discussed before. And the Internet and the Internet culture, that being what it is, has brought a lot of new vocabulary to the conversation that seems confusing even for me. Um, So I don't really have any specific advice to give you, but I'm telling you what I'm thinking right now. I want to connect you with that therapist that was on the line for our Charlottesville episode after you, who had some thoughts about how to think about race with white children. I would love for you guys to connect. She seemed pretty cool. I think it could be fun, and she might yeah. be able to offer some guidance. And I think right. the first part of America moving to any kind of better place on issues like these is to start having conversations even bit by bit, small by small, like the ones we're having now, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I am grateful that we were able to talk twice this year. Yeah, no, I thought, I mean, I uh, it's been really cool. Thanks for being a part of this show over the course of the year uh, and for talking with me and for opening up your world to our listeners. And saying, I don't know. I don't know. This is, I'm, this, it's Linda. I'm just saying, I think for you to say, I don't know what to do is such a good step and an important step for so many people. Yes. So I'm totally in favor of just being willing to say, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I will not get informed. (laughs) (laughs) Not knowing. If I could just make one really quick recommendation, I haven't been able to find, this is Eric, by the way, there's a book for adults called Waking Up White that I think is really fantastic. Um, Waking Up White? Waking Up White. It's by Debbie Irving. Um, And, you know, I I think one of the challenges of talking about um, race is that it's a social construction. And so, like, you know, we're talking about nothing. And so when we're talking with kids, kids need concrete examples. There's another book called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? I love that book. Yeah. Yeah, Beverly Daniel Tatum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's really, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's 20 years old probably, but it's still one of the best books written about um, sort of the experience of race in children. Yeah. 
Okay, awesome. Those would be great. Last question. Yeah, I do f- think. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go, go, go. I just, I think adults in in Charlottesville are are trying to get, they they are trying to have new conversations. Yeah. I've talked to so many adults who just say I'm learning so much mm-hmm. about what's going. I'm looking at it through different points of view. So I think it's it is really talking to the kids. That's that is a struggle for everyone. Um, yeah. But adults are are more easily having conversations with each other. Yeah. Yeah. La- last yeah. question. It's a fun question. What are your plans for New Year's? Um, <laughs> I have uh, the two kids. Okay. And I have never even bothered to try to find a babysitter on New Year's because I feel like, does anyone want a babysitter on New Year's? <laughs> <laughs> so I, maybe there are people. I don't know. But um, so we usually do, like, we get together with other friends who have kids and we do, like, a pretend countdown. And then I'm usually in bed by, like, oh, 10. Okay. <laughs> like it. Like I'm it. good with that. So party, 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 pretty much. Is what yeah. I'm yeah. Yeah. All good. All good. Hey, well, thank yeah. you, Ellie. Take care. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. All it's right. Cool. Cool. Bye. Bye. Guys, it's almost time for my favorite game, Who Said That? I see you all jump up in your chairs every time I say it. We're getting there, I promise. (laughs) But first, I wanted to highlight some more music from 2017. I sat down recently in studio with one of my favorite writers, NPR Music's very own Rodney Carmichael. He covers hip-hop for NPR. He just had this opus of an essay all about Kendrick Lamar's year, and it was chef's kiss. Uh, Anyways, we talked about the biggest trends in hip-hop this year. Let's go to the tape. Rodney, thank you for being here. Sam, thank you for inviting me. Of course. So we asked you here to talk about your three biggest trends in hip-hop in 2017. And this year, one man was in charge of hip-hop, it seemed. Uh, And he is your first trend. This is his song, Fear, that we're playing right now. You know who it is. Kendrick Lamar, his album, Damn. I mean, it, it almost felt like it was written before it came out that this would be the album of the year, no? Yeah, but you know, it's funny because to me, this album is about him trying to get across the fear of God. Fear. What happens on earth stays on earth, and I can't take these feelings with me, so hopefully they disperse with their 14 tracks carried out over wax, wondering if I'm living through fear or living through rap. First off, there's this very Old Testament framework to it, right? Huh. Which, you know, obviously has a lot of historical significance, especially when you think about black America and Christianity, what all of that means. And, you know, he's very much into this characterization of God as a fearful God and a wrathful God versus, you know... Versus Chance the Rapper's version of God. Exactly. It's extremely celebratory almost. Exactly. Right, right, right. So it's it's a lot to swallow, you know? Yeah. Why God, why God, do I got to suffer? Pain in my heart, carry burdens full of struggle. Why God, why God, do I gotta bleed? Every stone thrown at you, resting at my feet. And it is just really interesting to see Kendrick now and Chance the Rapper last year deal with God a lot in their lyrics. I really appreciate that. And it's funny, you know, your second trend in hip-hop this year, it uh, seems to be far, far, far removed from God. It is uh, what you and many people call emo rap. Yeah, well, you know what? These young guys are rapping about suicide, depression, and mental illness in a way that kind of defies the hyper-masculinity of hip-hop. Really really 
Exactly. So we're playing a song now by Lil Uzi Vert. Mm-hmm. It's called EXO Tour Lift. Tour Life. Tour Life. Tour Life. With the crazy spelling. I'm so old. Nah, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this chorus in the song where he just says over and over and over again, all my friends are dead. Yeah. Push me to the edge. All my friends are dead. Push me to the edge. So people have written about this this year, not just in hip-hop and rap, but there has been this kind of reveling in darkness of the soul. Let's look at the biggest rapper of of our generation, Jay-Z. Okay. Right? He puts out 444 this year, and for the first time in his career... He's very vulnerable. He's very vulnerable. He peels back his whole, you know facade of of coolness and he admits and, to infidelity exactly like, he goes there exactly so we feel like we're in an era where just that whole front and that pose is it's pulled away yeah and it's funny though you talk about men in hip-hop who are dealing with some sad stuff this year i want to talk about our, your third trend in hip-hop and that's women in hip-hop and i think of the biggest woman in rap this year who was cardi b who had a number one song in bodak yellow exactly i don't want to act like she's the only woman in rap this year you uh spoke about another artist who uh you liked a lot this year as well yeah rhapsody the power to just she make a grown man cry the day i came up pop my mama i saw a grown man cry they say it has magic powers even magic ain't die and she's been she's been doing big things for years she was the only featured artist on kendrick lamar's the pimp a butterfly okay um but this album is the album that we've been waiting for from Rhapsody. It's called Layla's Wisdom, and the track we're listening to is Power. I ain't 5%, let's be talking to top MCs, and I'm in the top of that, the rest beneath me all cowards. When it spits, look around, it's meteor shots. I watch the stars fall, 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 yeah, this is what you call power. She gives me Queen Latifah old school vibes. She, yeah, I can like, see that. Like, I kind can of see like that. this, this, this. The lyrics are uplifting. Yeah, and it's just a bit more positive than yeah. some of the beef that we've been hearing in some other no, definitely. women-based rap. Sure. I think another difference, though, from that era is she's 360. Okay, like, she's not afraid to be. You know that that earlier genre, that earlier era of rap, you had to be one thing. Like, yeah. right, you had to be the queen. Exactly. You had to be. You know. You had to be hotel. You had to be like. Exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> All positivity. Uplift for the race. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She's more. And she's she's, she's more than human. That. She's okay. human. Okay. Well, let's go out on power by Rhapsody. Thanks, man. All right. Hey, I appreciate this it. This was really fun. No doubt. I can do what you can, but you can't do the same with words as I. And watch my street cred go multiply. They say the streets respect the real ones. The one is really. That's me and Rodney Carmichael of NPR Music discussing some big trends in hip hop this year. Smart guy. He's real good. He's yeah. so good. Yeah. What was y'all's favorite hip hop of the year? If you had to pick. I mean, the Kendrick Lamar album. I was just going to say, me too. You're going to remember of 2017. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was totally into accepting that, like, every year the older I get, the more I realize some of this stuff just ain't for me. Mm -hmm. A lot of this young kids, emo hip-hop, the little (laughs) Uzi, little little squeak, little whatever. (laughs) I I admire their effort, (laughs) but I don't know what they're saying. Oh, I know. Although, Bodak Yellow, though. Bodak Yellow was a Bodak Yellow, it could come on any... You know why, though? Because she enunciates. Yeah. Cardi B enunciates. Some of these she kids out here rapping. Teeth, though, I'm like, like, what are you saying? Oh, I am witnessing the aging of Sam Sanders yes. right in front of my yes. own face. What are you saying? <laughs> Sharing Coronas and Blackie Mouse, Donuts and El Caminos, talking loud, scraping and combing, residue every morning, talk about legacy, let's talk about the life of celebrity, versus integrity, curse the first one that thirsts for necessity, searching for equity, versus the earth that birthed us indefinitely, first to verse I wrote in jeopardy, surfing the laws of the universe and destiny, church and a god is all that's ever been ahead of me, ah. Uh. 
Now it's time for the moment you guys have been waiting for, I think. Yeah. Uh, my favorite game, Who Said That? Never gets old. This game is so simple. I share a quote, but this time from the entire year of news. The quotes could come from any time in 2017. You guys guess the quote or at least the story it came from. Uh, and we're going to do more than three this time. Okay. And the winner, as I'll, actually, you know what, Brent? The winner gets a specialized haiku. Oh, cool. From me. Okay. I write really bad haikus. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So that's what you'll get. Are you going to tweet it? Oh, you know it. Okay. I'm in for you know a little five, five, seven, five. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So first quote, story from May 17, all about one of the year's perhaps most epic fails. Here it is. Let's just do it and be legends, man. Who uh, said that? Firefest. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and give it to Linda. <laughs> so for those of that, I almost forgot that Firefest happened this year. That was year. this year. That was this year. Now, Firefest oh was this crazy, crazy, supposed to be a music festival, like, on an island in the Bahamas. Ja Rule became the face of it. Yeah. But as time went on, people realized it wasn't all coming together. And it ended up with these really, really rich socialites mm-hmm. on an island. Eating bologna. With no festival. <laughs> eating bologna. Sleeping in, like, disaster tents. Mm-hmm. On a beach with sand flies and swimming pigs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All these big acts that were supposed to be there pulled out, and the tickets cost between $1,000 and $125,000. Yeah. And all that's left of it now is Eric and I both having our brains go, Fofo, Fifi, wait, what was it? <laughs> <laughs> the organizer, I believe, got sued, knew that would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ja, he's. Still Ja. He and he said, he said, finally, quote, I truly apologize as this is not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Another great apology. Yes, an out apology. <laughs> Thank, you, ja. about this. Thank you, Ja. Thank you, Ja. Also, I'm just like, leave Ja out of this. Uh-huh. He didn't ask for this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, one Linda zip everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. I don't like the tone of that. Okay, but... <laughs> True. Next quote. It's about another epic fail from the year. This one from advertising. Here's the quote. If I had carried Pepsi, I guess I would have never gotten arrested. Who knew? Oh, if I had carried Pepsi. I know what it's about. Someone responding to it. Well, say what what the story was. Well, it was the Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad. Yes. 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 So that was activist DeRay McKesson responding to the now infamous Pepsi ad that was very quickly pulled uh, to take you back to that moment there was this ad that came out this year depicting kendall jenner mm-hmm. a famous model of the kardashian clan uh mm-hmm. she walked into a protest not clear what it's about actually but she walks in there and there's these signs say peace love during the conversation uh kendall walks through it all she's beckoned into the protest by a handsome man with a cello oh, she God. grabs a can of pepsi from a cooler oh. and then goes to this like police line oh. gives it to a police officer the officer takes a sip of the pepsi then a woman wearing a nose ring and a Muslim headscarf <laughs> takes a picture. Everyone cheers. And uh, Kendall Jenner brings the angry masses towards peace. You know, before that moment, I thought Kendall was the smartest one of the bunch because she kind of just kept her head down and worked mm-hmm. and actually had a real live model and career of her own. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, oh, she can mess up with the rest of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know who the richest one is now? Which one? Kylie. Is that, is that makeup? The lip, yeah. the makeup, the lip kits. Mm-hmm. The lip, her makeup brand, I think, is going to gross over a billion dollars in sales for the year. See, I mean, I'm Team Fenty Beauty. I was just going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That well, that, I mean, it keeps that. selling out. She's oh, also yeah. making that She's cash. Doing it. This is Rihanna's yeah. makeup line. Yeah. 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 I don't even wear makeup, and I, I've like on two occasions I've been like, 
I should go to Sephora and check it out. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see. I just want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quote number three. This is from a story from October 2017. I'm not going to give you a hint. I'm not running for Senate. Are you kidding me? Who said that? Kid Rock. Yeah. Good one. Very good. That was Kid Rock, the former. What would you call his genre of music? Country rap? Butt Rock? Isn't it Butt Rock? I'm sorry. What? Did you say Butt Rock? (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. What? Butt Rock. Stop saying it. (laughs) (laughs) So for many months this year, there were all of these rumors that Kid Rock might run for president. He told Howard Stern that he thought about doing it. He had a campaign website, it seemed, for a few days. All of this ended up being just publicity for his new album, which it seems no one bought anyway. Sure. But The Rock recently said that he might run for president mm. in 2024. This is how we live now. I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah? Yeah. I'll cover Dwayne The Rock Johnson's right. presidential <laughs> campaign in 2024. I, I enjoy yeah. The Rock. Yeah. yeah. Generally yeah. pro yeah. rock. He's he's a funny guy. He like to, to your point about humor, he, like, he knows how to make fun of himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not bad to look at. All I'm saying <laughs> is if Kid Rock does run for Senate... Or whatever. If he wins any election, he needs to be sworn in on a paper copy of the lyrics to Ba with the Ba. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. In That's a tracksuit. Agree. Agree. Yes. Yes. Uh, last quote. This is from a story from 2017, but it's about an event back in February that took place in Los Angeles. The quote is, he paused. He looked over me off stage. He looked around and I finally said, you're impossible. I thought he was joking. Who said that? Offstage, backstage. Uh, Oscars. It's the Oscars. Oh, my God. Uh, Faye Dunaway said that. Yes. Yes. I think that's a... a, You share half a point. You share half a point. It's it's, uh, from the Oscars when they announced that the best picture was La La Land. And it wasn't. I was working right here in the newsroom (laughs) and writing it up. Actually, we should play some of the tape of that right now. That moment was so cringeworthy. (laughs) The Academy Award... For best picture. You're impossible. <laughs> Come oh boy. La La Land. <laughs> no. There's a, this, there's a mistake. Oh my god. Moonlight, you guys won best picture. Oh man. Moonlight won. Come on, this is not a joke. Oh, this is not a joke. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. Oh, this is awful. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. This is oh my God. So... I know, it, yeah. it gave me like that oh when you're embarrassed for someone. Moonlight, Best Picture. That was the best moment, I think, of it 2017. Was like, I feel like that was the moment with the simulation like glitched and all of a sudden, like, I felt such a promise in that yeah. moment. Like, I mm. felt it in a deeply emotional way. Um, Linda, you won. You'll get a haiku, but you guys will get haikus as well. Okay. Because y'all were the best of the best guests. This was really fun. So thank you. You're the best. That said, happy New Year's. We're going to let Ed Sheeran close the year out for us. (laughs) Because why not? It's the perfect song to run to. It's got the push and pull of magnitudes. (laughs) I'm holding on to that. Linda Holmes, you know her from NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, also runs NPR's Monkey C Blog. Check out their pop culture coverage. uh, And look forward to them uh, live tweeting and blogging all the award shows coming up soon. Yep, sure. That's my favorite part of the year. Yeah. Watching you guys do that. Yeah. It's going to be good. NPR congressional correspondent Susan Davis. Good luck in 2018. Try to keep the government shut down, please. Thank you. I will do my best. Yeah, yeah. And Arik Thomas, playwright, person on the internet. Uh, his writings at L.com. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. This First time so at NPR. Fun. Yeah. We'll have you back soon. 
Listeners, thank you for listening in 2017. I'm Sam Sanders, and we'll talk next year. Now my bed sheets smell like you Every day discovering something brand new I'm in love with your body I feel like this is like the this is like the love slow jam of like people who spent the day at a museum. Wait, <laughs> unpack that. Then you go home from the museum and this is your like this is like your sexy mix. <laughs> <laughs> shape of you